0: Hi, it's Vincent here. Join me in person when this climate business goes live during the Auckland Climate Festival. I will be hosting a panel on September 29 and you're invited to be part of the show. Special guests include James Shaw, the Climate Change Minister, Sophie Hanford, the founder of School Strike for Climate, and you we will be taking questions from the floor, and there might even be some food and drink. So that's September 29 at KPMG in the Viaduct in Auckland. Visit thisclimatebusiness.com to register, but do it now because, let's face it, tickets are limited. And now, on with the show. In Aotearoa, New Zealand, we throw away a staggering 97 million single-use plastic drink containers every year, with less than 7% of those ever getting recycled. Well, that seems dumb, especially when most of that drink is water. Brienne West is the founder of Ethique, the eco-beauty products business that took the water out of cosmetics and saved millions of tonnes of plastic water and emissions in the process. Ethique now exports to more than 20 countries and was sold by Brianne, or at least I think largely sold, uh, in 2020. And she's now turning that success in the beauty business into drinks called Incredibles. Such a pun. (laughs) It's like a dad joke.
1: It's my favourite business name. (laughs) And she
0: joins me now. Thanks for joining us on this climate business.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, I'm imagining that um, Incredibles is like a sherbet, so this this is like a a kind of a pod of deliciousness that you're going to drop into a drink and it fizzes up, not dissimilar to Barocca or something exactly. similar. Exactly.
1: To-, to people who don't get it, because I haven't nailed how to describe it in a super succinct way yet, I've said it's a better Barocca. Sorry, Barocca. They're great. They're very successful. It's a tablet that tastes amazing. I like pods of deliciousness.
0: Yeah, good. Yeah. Well, you can have that. But uh, what yeah. is in these pods?
1: Well, it's a mix of different things. Uh, so obviously the things that make them fizz or that make them effervescent tablet is exactly what's in a bath bomb. It's citric acid and baking soda. Mm-hmm. So uh, you have to temper that. Obviously it's in a smaller amount than in a bath bomb, but uh, you temper that with things like fresh fruit, powder extracts and things, um, and then your natural flavours. Um, and we are currently exploring things like sugar versus um, artificial sweeteners, things like stevia. So I've been, the great thing about, talking about this before I've actually launched the brand and the product, um, is that I can ask people what it is they want, sugar versus sweeteners, which sweeteners do you want and, and so on and so forth. So it's lots of experimentation going on as to what's in it. But basically the fizzing aid and then the the tasty good stuff.
0: Yeah, great. Why? Why? What's, what's wrong with the drinks that we have?
1: Oh my God. Where would you like to start? Don't you... you You laid it out in the beginning. It makes absolutely no sense to me. So many of our industries are selling stuff wrapped in plastic because the majority of the stuff within the plastic is water. And in countries like Aotearoa, Australia, the USA, the the water that comes out of tap in most places is perfectly safe to drink and often delicious, right? Mm. So it it makes no sense to me that we go and buy a bottle of, I don't know, flavoured pump water to the tune of... $7, It 76? Seven
0: dollars, I'm saying. Yeah, yeah,
1: I mean, it's an, it's a it's a bonkers thing to do, and then typically we use that um, pump bottle or the plastic water bottle for once or twice, mm-hmm. and the amount of resources that go into that plastic bottle. And the fact that unfortunately that water is often shipped around the world, none of it makes any sense. So the idea of the Incredibles is, is you have an absolute plethora of flavors. We're only going to launch with about 10 to begin with, but Mm. you know, I have a list of 184, so stay (laughs) tuned. Um, some of these are going to be functional, so they'll have, um, benefits and beyond just delicious, but the ultimate point is that they are delicious. So you can drop one in your bottle of, um, your reusable bottle of water or in a cup or in a cocktail or whatever, and you have all of the flavors that you want with, None of the waste.
0: Yeah, fantastic. You made a virtue out of all of your formulations within a teak being environmentally friendly, safe, not tested on animals. So are you going to bring that same ethic across into the drinks business?
1: Absolutely. Um, they are my values, so therefore I wouldn't do a business without them. And I've learned a lot about how to make them easier. Um, for example, palm oil was really difficult with the teak because in the cosmetics industry, you know, 95% of your cosmetic products have palm oil in. I don't want to use palm oil um, because of its links to deforestation and human trafficking and everything else that goes on. Mm. And um, now I know what to look out for, so it makes the decision within Incredibles that much easier to do. Mm -hmm. So, yes, those values, absolutely.
0: Flavoured drinks are typically associated with sweet drinks, obesity, rotting teeth and so on. Are you contributing to that problem?
1: Well, that is a good question about the sugar versus no sugar, right? Because I want to do both because I think people are… You
0: you want rotting teeth and… Well, I think people by and
1: large can make their own decisions. And sugar isn't bad, right? Overconsumption of sugar is bad. Sugar Mm. you need because it's a carbohydrate that runs your brain. Mm. Um, And the anti-carb movement, I appreciate why some people do it. It is not… It is not the healthy diet for everybody. So if people want sugar because they're athletes and they're going to consume something before or after a workout, great. If you're drinking four or five bottles of Coke every day, it's not doing you any any good. Uh So we don't want you to drink four or five bottles of the sugary version of Incredibles, in which case perhaps go for the sweetener version or just drink some water. At the end of the day, the key with anything is moderation, and that's why we're still doing the testing because there are a lot. In fact, I was surprised the majority of people want sugar, just not a lot of it. Okay, I did um, think it'd be the other way around.
0: <laughs> what um, the drinks business is notoriously tough. You know, it's it's a very busy category. There are a lot of competitors in there. Um, yeah. uh, what gives you confidence that you could make a go of it?
1: <laughs> um, I. What makes you think I'm confident? Uh, a blind faith? No, I don't know. Look. Uh, it's not necessarily confidence that we'll make a go of it or that it'll be a success. It's the desire to try and the desire to make a difference that kind of makes me overlook the 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 back of the mind saying, mm, how are you going to take on Coca-Cola Amatil, right? And, and I say tongue in cheek that we're taking on Coke because it sounds good on TikTok. And yes, sure, I'd love to displace some of the waste that Coke pops out there. But at the end of the day, what I'm trying to do more than anything is just change people's behaviors. That's what happened with the teak. As people said, uh, we can use a bar just as easily as you can use a bottle. Mm. Well, you can use a bowl just as easy as you can use a. Bo- you can buy a bottle of whatever flavored water, right? So, I believe it will take time. It will be difficult, and it will require a lot of education and a lot of PR and so on and so forth. But I believe people, when they understand the reason you're doing something and you're not just selling it for the sake of it, mm. I think people get on board real quick.
0: You actually can create a category, can't you? So you would expect competitors to come into, but that would sounds like it would be an endorsement.
1: That's that's exactly right. So I always used to say, for a teak, I want a bar in every shower, but I'm not really bothered if it's in a teak bar. And now everyone and his dog has um, some kind of shampoo bar in their range, from Garnier to P and G, right? Um, And that would not have happened if consumers hadn't embraced the bar revolution.
0: Huh. Yeah. So
1: that takes a bit of bravery.
0: That that takes. A bit of bravery and uh, maybe maturity, and, but you don't seem that old.
1: <laughs> Mentally. <laughs> and my knees would argue with you. Um, yeah, I think, it, I think it stems from the same thing, which is the, the genuine belief and passion behind the brand, which is I want to change things because the way we are doing life or consumption is mm-hmm. not sustainable. And we can't consume our way out of a sustainability crisis, but we can certainly make better. People are not going to stop buying drinks, so how can we make those drinks less wasteful?
0: Mm-hmm. Have you? Uh, I've got statistics here from Wikipedia. <laughs> Who knows if they're <laughs> accurate? But it says that a, a teak—I call it a teak, but you call it a teak—has uh, achieved 10 million bottles saved and oh, waste. date. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Correct me in a second, 10 million bottles saved and West has announced a new goal of half a billion by 2030. It's a long way from 10, billion, uh, 10 million to, to half a billion. How's, how are you going on that journey?
1: We are on track. It, it obviously, is going to require an awful lot of growth, which is why I did the big investment deal in 2020. Uh, we're at 30 million plastic bottles, literally just announced last week, actually. Uh, and yes, it's a big jump. It's you know It's like one of those hockey stick investment graphs. But... I wouldn't have put the goal out there if I didn't think we could to do it because um, corporate pledges to be like carbon neutral by 2030 and then failing it are incredibly irritating. There's something bonkers out there, like 86% of all corporate pledges are failed and obviously you, you never hear about them ever again. Huh. I don't want to be that. So, yes, we're on track to do it. It involves a lot of investment. It involves bars becoming a little bit more mainstream and bigger in the places like the mm-hmm. States. Tell me
0: about that deal that you did in 2020 that was with investors and are you, yeah. you remain in the business. You're no longer CEO.
1: No. So I stepped... So we did the deal in October 2020, and uh, so we had 352 crowdfunded shareholders who supported the company from, yeah, really like, um, two years on. Yeah, and I would 100% do that again with Incredibles if we needed to. Uh, so in 2020, we all of those shareholders got bought out, and the, the earliest ones in the first tranche made a 4,800% return, which is the coolest thing, because <laughs> we made we paid people's mortgages off. I think that's very cool. Um Uh, And they took that, um, I sold out a chunk, um, my business partner sold out a chunk, um, but we all remained in there a certain amount. Um, I remained on a CEO for about two years. Uh, We added in some sort of experienced people from around the world. And yeah, it's like a PE slash family office type Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. group. And we have, or we spoke to a lot of, um, a lot of VCs and PE funds and I I was pretty jaded and I was very distrustful of a lot of them because they were all like, oh, you were super values Lead, blah, blah, blah. But really, you're a bit of a tick box for them. We have impact investment or we support women founders. And uh, it was these guys that I liked because they, uh, the, the sort of the guy behind it, um, he's a billionaire. I know we all want to eat billionaires. I mm-hmm. get it. But he's, he does do an awful lot for ocean conservation, which is something I'm particularly passionate about. And um, upon meeting them and understanding what it is that really makes them tick, I just had that trust in them that I didn't have with anyone else.
0: That's good. Have they carried on in the manner to which you yes. want them to?
1: Yeah. So when we did the deal, um, there's lots of. Uh, I have a lot of. I have a lot of the control around things like values and sustainability and and what they can and can't do. And but it doesn't matter if I didn't, because they've literally never come up. They bought the company for the values it stands for. But you'd also be stupid too, right? Because Atique, if you took away all the values, Atique is just a shampoo company, right? Atique stands for a great deal more than that. But if you took away the fact that we use fair trade ingredients and, and we're don't, we we're trying to rid the world of plastic bottles, yeah, just a shampoo company.
0: Yeah, yeah. Hmm. And t- tell me about what they've added then in terms of growth and potentially have they opened up new markets for you?
1: Yeah, and depth of experience. So the USA retail is very complicated. You need boots on the ground. Hmm. And we didn't have it because, you know, 2020 was kind of a rough year, <laughs> as was 2021 and 2022. But uh, so we couldn't exactly go there. We couldn't get into the retailers. We couldn't service the retailers we already had. So it's it's seemingly basic stuff like that is simply building teams in different countries and uh, having an office. We have an office in um, the UK and an office in this, um, the States, although most of our team in the States work remotely. So it's... Just added depth of experience yeah, and access to people that I wouldn't have thought we'd ever really be able to talk to, Mm -hmm. which is really nice.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Uh, It's in some ways a perfect kind of IP business, isn't it? Because you uh, have a recipe and you have formulations that could be manufactured anywhere or are Mm the… Source ingredients really important and only come from a certain place in, I don't know, Papua New Guinea or something.
1: There's nothing particularly special about the ingredients that make up the shampoo. It's the sort of the additive ingredients like the virgin um, fair trade coconut oil from Samoa and Vanu- Vanuatu through our women's cooperatives. It's those sorts of relationships that uh-huh. make them a bit different. What's actually different about our bars is the manufacturing process. So um most of all the other bars on the in the world are actually made from one or two or three bases that are manufactured in India, the UK, or I think one is in America. And so most shampoo bars on the market are just about 5% tweaked from all the others. Mm-hmm. And they're extruded and there's nothing wrong with them. They're great products. I'm not knocking them, but our products are quite different in that they are sort of handcrafted from day one in my kitchen, way back when, and they haven't changed formula, uh, completely built from the ground up. Now I couldn't afford an extrusion machine, or did I even know what extrusion was? <laughs> I was using a microwave, I sit on fire loads of times, to make shampoo in like a gloop, and that's why they're square, that's why they're formed the way they are. But it turns out that process makes a really novel bar, and that's you know why we're the number one shampoo bar. Yeah. Which is quite cool.
0: There are many parallels with other uh, – as you're talking, I'm thinking of Mark and Ellie Sorensen, who've started Cleanery, for <laughs> instance, and same deal, you know, making – formulations in their kitchen, uh, some successful, some not, but they're really now on their way and they're killing it, right? Um, I hear about them
1: all the time, yeah, in a good way.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm also kind of reminded of Jeff and Justine Ross, you know, men yes. <laughs> mixing 42 below vodka in their basement until they got the, the formula right. In their basement? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. It's very cool. I mean, there's something in that kind of formula, uh, do-it-yourself Aspect that's quite important, by the sound of it, to this business, and then quite important to you as a business person, right? This hands-on stuff, not just outsourcing the making.
1: If you can, and not all, obviously not all products you can. um, I, I think it teaches you a lot about the product, and it teaches you so much more how it's made and what you can do with it. Mm. So when you work from day one with a manufacturer. I imagine happens, is you're given limitations and because you don't necessarily know any better, you you adhere to them. Mm-hmm. And um, my manufacturers are probably very patient people because we've had to build a process and, and they've had to build machinery and figure out how to make these bars. Quite possibly, if I'd have gone to them, we would have just gone down the more traditional route and had a completely different product. Right. So by understanding the product from day one and building it up, you learn more about the products, but you also learn about what it is your customers want. And that's why I really like building community-led brands Because you understand, and and social media makes this easier than ever, is because you can have conversations with people and say, well, do you want it to be green or pink? Do you want it to be apple-flavored or orange-flavored? I now know that the most hated flavor, for example, is banana, which isn't a surprise. But I'm talking Incredibles now, obviously. But having that instantaneous feedback and then being able to go and tweak something in your own kitchen is so handy.
0: Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. And that's and social media has made that possible, right? Yeah. Um, and then also working with your suppliers. Uh I'm also reminded of this weird Simon Coley on this in this very hot seat that you're sitting now from Karma Drinks. Yeah. And he's done the same. You know, they've they've done the Mahi to go to Sierra Leone, eyeball oh, the growers, work with them to actually create a authentic supply chain. And it does seem to me these kind of regen businesses that we'll we'll get to talking about. At the core, they've got this authenticity around the hands-on creation.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting point. You, you've got to you've got to know it, and you you can't necessarily take people's word for things. If you are trying to do something in a different way, you kind of have to figure it out yourself. Yeah. it's only you that's going to push it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's easier not to. So you have to be a little contrarian and a little uh, no. I'm not going to take no for an answer, which I appreciate is why people call me unreasonable quite often. Uh. I've taken to considering that a compliment. (laughs) Lots of
0: people have ideas for businesses and they might even go so far as to, you know, knock together something in their kitchen and and make something. Um, You actually did it. What made you different, do you think?
1: I've had that question so many times. Uh, I think part of it is I love the creation side of things and I am a look- No, I'm a leaper before I've even thought about looking. So I'll be, you know, I'll be drawing up a website before I've even created the product because I'm stupid. Buying URLs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I am all in and I'm going to try something and if it doesn't work, that's okay. So I think the other side of it is I don't really mind if it doesn't work. Uh I might be a little bit humiliated or if it's a public failure or... Gutted because it's not financially viable. So, I've had lots of product ideas that simply don't work because mm-hmm. people won't pay as much as it costs to make them. Um, so, I've had lots and lots of failures, but I don't let it worry me because I guess I don't say, I don't think, or well, that makes me a failure. And I think that's the difference. So, I get to mentor a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of them because I prefer the earlier stage because I feel that's when you can add the most, or where I can personally add the most value. Mm. And it is that I've got this idea and I've got a product, but it's, you know, it's not very good and it's a stupid idea and I don't know why I can do this because I've never done anything like this before. And it's such a shame that if they just had that little bit more faith in themselves because everybody starts like that. I have no idea. That's not fair. I feel like I have no idea what I'm doing a lot of the time. But I have all this experience and I have wonderful people around me to rely on. So how do we support those young entrepreneurs who do have ideas mm-hmm. but don't know what the next step is. You had a
0: mentor who believed in you, right? Yeah, right from I the start. had
1: loads of mentors, uh, even if they're not officially mentors, right? Mm. I mean, parents mentored me in, in many ways. Uh, but I had a business partner who started as a business mentor um, from like, I think it was 2013. So I started a tech in 2012 and I ran it as like a pilot and setting things on fire and filling houses with shampoo. <laughs> I don't really miss those days, but also it was kind of fun, I guess. Uh, yeah, I signed um, signed up with a business mentor as part of a university competition, and then he joined me as a business partner, and um, all the way through, which was great. So he was my first official one, if you Yeah,
0: like. yeah. I mean, that's even that is quite a cool story in that not. Many business mentors actually then will commit to. So there was obviously something in you. Can uh, we probably need to ask him what, what was the, <laughs> What was it that he saw in you? Do you think? I've asked and, him, and in the product, maybe I've,
1: I've seen him talk about it enough. And I think it's always come down to the passion for the reason behind the product. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know. I mean, this is his name's Brian. I don't know if Brian is particularly passionate about shampoo bars. But to be perfectly frank, neither am I. It is a means to changing the world. I don't really. Get excited about cosmetics, and uh, I think he would say the same thing. It's it's the desire to leave the world a better place than you found it, which sounds so twee. But I think that's why I've had all my my current business partner and all my other businesses. Uh, he he would say exactly the same thing.
0: I suppose that what you're talking about is that ability to overcome the cringe and the the classic Kiwi kind of self doubt and uh, you know what we call it the imposter syndrome to say well. Maybe it does sound twee, and maybe someone else in the world has made this thing already. I don't know, but I'm going to give it a crack. And yeah. there's that sort of spirit of defiance.
1: I think it's important for people to know that imposter syndrome doesn't go away. I don't think there's many rooms I walk into where I'm not intimidated, and uh, I just try not to let that feeling bother me anymore. <laughs> so I know it's there. And maybe it'll go away one day. My mum told me I'd stop caring about what people thought when I was 30. Well, I'm 36 now, and I still care. <laughs> so come
0: That's, on. Maybe it's 37. Maybe. Um, one question that always comes up for me with businesses: is you know, great businesses seem so obvious after they've been made, right? And the idea of dropping a ball of sherbet into a drink to make a fizzy, delicious drink, it's got to have been done before, Brianne. Well. What well, the hell? Absolutely. What's going on?
1: It has been done before. Uh, I mean, Barocca is the perfect example. Exactly. They just have a more specific point. There's lots of um, hydration drinks. So we're not going the hydration route because, to be perfectly frank, we couldn't compete. And it's not where we want to go anyway. We want to uh, we want to target a whole different consumer who is all about the flavoured water. Yeah. But then the functional okay. side of things is maybe you don't drink coffee or maybe you do and you don't want to drink coffee, whatever. Uh, perhaps I can have an orange and pineapple flavored drink in the morning that has that caffeine or has some kind of substitute that gives me that energy I want, you know? So there's, there's a completely different consumer. Um, but it has been done before. And actually, um, my brand designer found it a few weeks ago. She was, I think it was on Pinterest looking for inspiration and she found something called Fizzies, which were exactly give or take what Incredibles is going to be. But in the 50s and 60s, Uh, because all of the best ideas are old ones. At the end of the day, we may be reiterating on them and and creating better versions. But at the end of the day, the old ideas are the best. Like the the dishwasher soap inside the shaky thing is now coming back as a way to wash your dishes. Mm. Because dishwashing liquid is in a plastic bottle. Um, I'm not saying all the old ways are the best.
0: Sure, no, but, but, but i take your point. And lots of great and, ones. And, and your point is that shouldn't stop you then from giving it a crack. I mean, yeah. you learn from the best and, and so on.
1: I don't know what happened to fizzies. Mm. I can't see much about them online, but
0: they were very cool. Now there you go. I want you to bring back Tang.
1: Oh, uh, my dad talks about Tang. Or is it Tango he talks about?
0: Well, it could be Tango was a was – a, It's the orange one, a, isn't the, it? Tang, well, I think it was a UK one. Yes. Anyway, we, we are diverted –
1: Let's talk about
0: this purpose-led approach to business. So this is obviously important to you and it's important to me too because I, I think that really suggests a kind of a way forward out of this kind of messy consumerist pile of poo that we've created. Mm. Uh, what does that mean for you? Why does a purpose-led business and why does it resonate so well?
1: It's overused, but it's a business that genuinely, the critical word, values the triple bottom line, people, planet, profit. And I don't mean they have a cute little statement about their saving water for the world or whatever, some corporate nonsense statement. I mean that the actions they do, the products they make contribute to that aim. So you can't sell bottled water, but then donate water to a a, a certain company, or sorry, a charity, and then say, oh, we're better for the world because we're selling bottled water here to make money. That's not what I think a purpose purposely business is. Your product has to do good too. It is not perfect because there's no such thing as a perfect product. Everything has an impact. Um, but you should need to be working towards doing better and your product needs to not be actively destructive. Mm. I am quite idealistic and purist about it, and I appreciate that. annoys some people, but I am by definition an idealist. Um,
0: How is it different from CSR, corporate social responsibility?
1: Well, what has CSR achieved?
0: Uh, well, it's created a lot of jobs for people <coughs> in the CSR movement. <laughs>
1: Um, I'm not, um, I'm not a, a big, it's like ESG, right? It, they're all just cute little acronyms people put in place. And look, there are people working within those positions who are working to change uh, big things. And, and corporates are big ships. To turn them around, to operate in a much more regenerative way is a long-term thing. And the likes of Unilever should be given credit for genuinely putting things in place that, trying to be better. If you want to be a truly regenerative business, you stop selling a whole bunch of stuff first. You look at your supply chain and think, who am I ripping off in my supply chain? Where am I creating deforestation? I know that they need to do that whilst balancing the needs of the shareholders. In a truly regenerative business, all those three things work together. You don't have to sacrifice the planet or people for profit. Mm. There are a number of people who tell me that that is stupid, drives me insane, because Teek is a perfect example of that working.
0: Uh, Paul Pullman, who was the CEO yes. of he wrote a In- great Unilever, fantastic book. He uh, uh, said recently that um, CSR was a bit like saying we've killed only eight people instead of ten, so we're <laughs> a whole lot better. So it's kind of That's doing a really le-
1: nice way. It's, it's of quite a brutal
0: it. way, and particularly from a large corporate that does, you know, put a lot of chemicals out there. Um, Could you imagine a scenario, an expectation where the very act of being in business is a benefit, so not less bad, but actually the very act of being in business improves the environment, improves the atmosphere, improves lives of people?
1: Yes, because that's what a truly regenerative business is. So we say, um, I say we that it gives back more than it takes which mm-hmm. is kind of vague because that encompasses everything that a business does so some of the ways that incredibles does it for example is we will uh, along with minimizing emissions uh we will carbon offset far more than we emit so we are effectively paying to offset carbon that we haven't emitted mm-hmm. okay and look carbon offsets are, are hardly a got the silver bullet in any stretch but that's just an example um Planting trees, for example, with the Eden Reforestation Project is something any company can do. And I love the Eden Reforestation Project, for example, because not only do they plant native seedlings in areas that have been deforested through human activity, but they also pay locals to plant them and look after them long-term through forest guardianship so that their program actually has a long-term benefit. Hmm. This is the Eden Reforestation Project. Not the one in the UK. They're a global organisation.
0: Uh-huh. And are you involved in supporting that organisation?
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, through a couple of ways. Uh, all of my businesses do actually, I think, yeah. And they're just a really nice example mm-hmm. because they are, a, I, now I say it out loud, I'm 90% and they are a business. And I like, charities do good work, but <sighs> constantly being beholden to chasing grants and fundraising, just takes that little bit extra time whereas if you can financially support yourself and give back to the the projects you care about i mean that's the way forward all business and people disagree with me on this but i i believe that business should be morally obligated to be building a better world everything i say sounds so twee well let's
0: test that a little bit let's imagine you're a Petrochemical business that's got an ambition towards being a a renewable energy company. I Mm -hmm. could think of one, for instance, that's New Zealand owned and quite high profile called Zed. A regenerative approach would say, actually, just what? Just stop being in that petrochemical business?
1: No, because the harm you would do to the environment, the people around you, needs to be considered. Again, if you were looking idealistically, Turn off all your petrol stations. But that's an absolute non starter. The chaos that would bring, that would put people in financial hardship immediately, right? We have, not a climate scientist, we have a carbon budget to burn. And my understanding is that's about 500, uh, it's less than 400, um, no, it's about 450 gigaton, is that right?
0: Mm hmm. Sounds right, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, But unfortunately, the oil we have already extracted sits at about 2,780 gigaton, right? So the first thing we should do is oil companies should stop looking for further reserves. That would be the first step. And they're all really still looking for further reserves. They're going hard out. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not going to talk about England and their uh, decision the other day to allow extraction, but that shouldn't be happening. And that's what Stop Oil is all about. It's not about stopping oil because you can't stop oil. It's what the world bloody rungs on, right? And that's okay as long as we are actively – ploughing the profits that those oil companies make into renewables mm-hmm. or into finding even better renewables. And, I mean, it makes no sense because renewables are now cheaper and vastly safer than coal. And yet, I mean, nuclear is another topic. Probably don't need to get into. But um, so, it, it's hard to say a, if an oil company could be regenerative. They could do good. <laughs> but I don't think they could ever inherently be regenerative at this stage. Mm. Certainly, as Z became a 100% renewable company, they absolutely could. But you need to plow the profit that all your companies are making, the insane profits they are making, instead of into the shareholders' pockets, Mm. into- um,
0: So I suppose what what I'm getting at is there's there's the regenerative models, which you're going to encourage, and we're gonna talk about your mentoring and uh, encouraging of entrepreneurs in a minute. And then and then there's the current ones that are kind of on a journey. Is it possible to be on a journey towards a regenerative business or do you just actually have to get off the wagon? Is there a bridge between now and the future for these kind of companies?
1: Absolutely. Yes, I think so. Uh, Again, if you're looking at some of the more purist attitudes out there, no, they should not be in business. But then they also say things like there's no ethical consumption under capitalism, which I think is a way for people saying, oh, I can't do it because of the system we're in, so I'm not going to bother. There is absolutely a bridge. And actually, the B Corp model is an interesting one. So B Corp is the whole idea that business is a force for good. Now, B Corp is about becoming a force for good. B Corps aren't necessarily a force for good, which is illustrated by the fact that um, Cafe, for example, is a certified B Corp. Uh, But they are, I don't know the ins and outs of their assessment, obviously, but they are making steps to improve themselves. Uh You could argue they will never be regenerative for as long as they sell something that's single use. There is definitely an argument there, and I can't speak to the ins and outs. Unilever is another good example. They are trying to work towards being a more sustainable organization, not necessarily regenerative. Because in my mind, there's business as usual. There are sustainable businesses, which is where you can just carry on operating and nothing changes. And we don't want to stay where we are right now. It's not good. We want to be better. Mm. And then there's regenerative. There's probably not very many genuinely regenerative brands out there that are genuine, genuinely, I'm going to say that word, that are actually making the world a better place. Mm. That's a hard claim. But you, we we absolutely should applaud the businesses that are doing the mahi to make it to that level. Yeah. But uh, sustainable shouldn't be the goal because we can't stay where we are. Mm. We need to be better than where we are.
0: Tell me about the people you're working with. So I, I see that on your website you've got this um, better business uh, or business but better. That's right. Uh, yep. Which is a, a an interesting way to call it. What wh- when is business better and, and Um, you know, give me an example of of who you're working with or what kind of businesses you're working with.
1: I really like to support entrepreneurs that are trying to use product and practices, business practices, to change things. So an example, actually, I had a mentoring session with, am I allowed favourites? Sold it, having a favourite. Uh, One of my favourite mentees, uh, so she is using waste apples to create an apple butter product, which is something New Zealand's not really heard of. So she's creating a new category out of a waste product. But the product itself is as sustainably packaged as possible. Note, I say as sustainably p- packaged because packaging, mm-hmm. by definition, isn't really sustainable. Mm-hmm. If you're being purist about it. Uh, and she's using fruit that would already go to waste, so it's food waste. And she's providing a product that will be, you know, allergen-free, um, good for sort of, loads of fibre because did you know ninety percent of the world doesn't consume enough fibre, which is a mind-blowing statistic. I only heard about TikTok of all things. And um, but it's she a also great wants- source of knowledge, TikTok. I, love, I don't care. I love TikTok. I've learned more on TikTok than I ever have before. School taught me nothing. <laughs> 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 um, and she's using that product to then also then run a very community-based organization. So she's running community days and she's trying to build back the faith and that happiness within a community that's had a bit of a hard time, right? And also supporting Orchards and the Hawke's Bay. Mm-hmm. So she is using mm-hmm. every facet of her business to make the world a better place. There it is again. Mm-hmm. Uh But she's just selling an apple butter. So businesses don't have to be doing some massive world-changing product in order to make a difference. Mm. Is that Yeah, it makes makes a lot of sense. And that's the kind of entrepreneur I love to sports. Another is a cleaning company that uses a product that literally evolves, changes into water and oxygen. It's hydrogen peroxide because it can be used for an absolute multitude of uh, cleaning, Mm. plant care, so on and so forth. And, again, they are using the way they use business, uh, they do business, to provide fresh water to developing nations. The difference is their product. I, I, I guess if you if you truly think about it, the difference is that their product does good as well. So you need to think about all your business practices. And I'm not saying you need to do them all at once because it's a journey and you should pick one thing and make that better and then pick the next thing and do that. If you try and change everything to be better at once, you're not going to get anywhere. But you need to be looking at things like paying a fair, a living wage mm. to your team and mm-hmm. wherever they are. You need to be supporting your, I think the biggest change all businesses can make is look at their supply chain. Can they make the supply chain fair and sustainable and everything else that it needs to be? Because imagine the difference you would make. The fact, oh, it annoys me. And it came out, um, the World Vision report a couple of weeks ago was right about child, child labour in uh, most industries in the, in the cosmetics ingredients world, yeah. like cocoa, for example they can earn less than a dollar a day for a product that sells for hundreds of kg. I know, I buy an absolute bucket load mm. of cocoa butter from a fair trade source, to be very clear.
0: Hey, we're talking about um, they're making a lovely comparison with the child labour that was creating the sparkles that you put on your skin. Yep. Yeah, uh, it's a lovely contrast. So um, let's run through those things. So um, ma- making sure there's no slavery and exploitation in your supply chain. Which pre- is hard. Pretty Pick important. one ingredient
1: at a time. And go through the process. Yeah. Yep.
0: What else? What else is on your on your hit list of regen priorities?
1: Also, where is your ingredient source from within that supply chain? So uh, if you're gonna use palm oil, for example, and there's also a lot of there's a lot of nuance in the palm oil conversation because if we switch all our palm oil to coconut, it's four times less efficient mm-hmm. per hectare of bloody uh, trees. So it's actually worse for the environment. But how is it we are producing the palm oil? Are we locking farmers into like an indentured system where they have no choice to get out? They could simply slash and burn their their native forests Mm. around them, right? So where is the ingredients that you're sourced? Where where are they actually sourced from? Not just the whole slavery-free thing. Uh, so that would be the pick from supply chain. Mm-hmm. Packaging is another one. Now there is no such thing as a perc- perfect packaging. There is an awful lot of exciting development in the material world, materials world. Um, like there's a there's a great company we've been talking quite a bit to called Notpla or Not PLA in England who have just won award after award after award, including the Prince William thing. I don't remember what it's called. The Earthshot that one. And they make. I wouldn't call it plastic, but they make a plastic alternative out of algae. You can literally eat it. A couple of years ago, they went viral on Facebook because they were giving people the London Marathon globs of water to eat mm. that you may or may not remember. That's yeah. them.
0: Yeah, mate.
1: So there's lots of exciting stuff going on in the materials world. How can you make your packaging better?
0: And lots here in New Zealand we've had, for instance, we've had it on the show. Yes, uh, yes. Doing John's am- great. Amazing. John? Yes, yeah, John, that's right, yeah. making uh, in, um, cling film out of um, – it's like a version of a PLA. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, lots, lots of examples of um, exciting things in You've packaging. You've got
1: Iconic in Hamilton, yes, who produce a compostable foil for coffee and crisps and things. And a lot, you have to be careful with the compostable packaging because so much of it is industrial, industrially compostable, and obviously yes. that's not really how it works. You want home compostable, but I'd like to think that we're getting there. The problem is, of course, the plastics industry is. Expecting to make 30% more plastic by 2030.
0: Right. Uh, anyway, let's we're ripping through the list. So we've got um, supply chain issues. We've got packaging issues. What else?
1: And also the packaging issues also end of life. So how is your consumer going to dispose of it at the end? I believe, and I know I'm, I'm argued with here, I believe that businesses need to think about the entire life cycle of the product, including what will happen to the packaging at the end if they sell it. If, like Mars recently, who have now created a paper ba- um, a paper thing for their Snickers bars or Mars bars, I guess. Uh, But it has a plastic lining, which has immediately made it unrecyclable in New (laughs) Zealand. Nice one. And it's made out of paper, which uses more resources to make than plastic. So they've actually made a worse option. So they need to consider where we're going to sell this product. Therefore, what is the packaging we're going to make? Mm. And yes, that's annoying if you're a multinational product uh, company, but that's how it works because Mm. you're making money off this. If you're making money off polluting, you look after it.
0: While we're on life cycles, I suppose you would include Scope 3 emissions as well, mm-hmm. wouldn't you? Like, what, Absolutely. What is the entire footprint of Well, Scope 4 is
1: now becoming a thing, What? right? Yeah, so Scope 4 is the idea of what uh, is the carbon emissions your consumer emits using the product. So I was listening to the head of sustainability at L'Oreal a couple of months ago, actually, and she was talking how they're thinking about Scope 4 because the majority of L'Oreal's carbon emissions are actually in the heating of the water that people use to shower. Scope 4 isn't even in most companies. Scope. Right, they're still looking at Scope three.
0: Yeah,
1: um, but Scope four is interesting. Are we going to have to think about that? And I think in an ideal world, yes, businesses should think about that and how we are going to minimize that. But also, when it comes to something like water heating, is that a business responsibility or is it a government's responsibility to ensure that their country is renewable? You know, it begins to get very gray. the whole thing is grey.
0: Well, it, it's kind of that's the point of stakeholder <sighs> capitalism. Is the it's blurry. Yeah, okay. Right, if it was shareholder capitalism, it'd kind of be easier. You know, mm. Like, we pollute someone else's problem, we're making money for our shareholders. There's an elegance to that. And this, this regen world that you're talking about, it's blurry, it's messy, but it also feels like the adult thing to do.
1: Yeah, I like that, the taking responsibility. And maybe that's a really good point because I think people get a little bit cross when I have these discussions, um, particularly on TikTok, because – there is no black and white answer. Mm. So I, I did a video the other day about how um, a lot of the plastic that ends up in our oceans, it comes out of the seven rivers. A lot of it actually places, um, 85% of plastic is exported from Europe, for example. Um, but we used, we send it too, right? You
0: mean people are, those seven rivers are typically in, in Asia Indonesia, and Africa.
1: Yeah, Indonesia and Malaysia are the two top ones in the Philippines.
0: And the idea being, well, Geez, look at those wasteful, destructive people. But it's
1: not them. A lot of it's exported from OECD countries, hmm. uh, and a few people in the comments are like, "Oh, if I sold a gun, and um, if I made a gun, am I responsible for the person who shoots someone with it?" What a bizarre, what a bizarre thing to compare it to. <laughs> I mean, because people don't. I think people get frustrated with it. No, well, I think the, the answer is yes. White. Well, I (laughs) I mean, I'm not even getting involved in the gun conversation. I think you could probably guess how I feel about it.
0: I love your energy. Where do you um, get it from? And and are you going to be able to sustain this level of enthusiasm about life and business? It hasn't gone away.
1: Um, I mean, I have been doing, well, I mean, a has been around for 10 years prior to that. Prior to that, I was doing like normal businesses, but I was still wanting to, I was still doing the compostable packaging as much as possible and all of that. But I hadn't really figured out that business could be used to be better. So... I think I was just mouthing an opinionated then. <laughs> uh, I don't see my passion for this dying away, whether I'm this energetic. I'm actually quite introverted. I happen to be energetic in these sorts of situations for a short period of time.
0: Mm-hmm. And then you have to go home and crawl into a fetal position. Yeah, yeah. or,
1: you know, stroke a horse and then I feel better. That's why yeah. I have lots of animals and go scuba diving and stuff.
0: When are we going to see Incredibles on the market?
1: Probably February, March. I hoped it would be this year, but... Uh, One of the things I want to do that I've talked about on my podcast is um, I see there's a lot of opportunity. So, okay, golden rice, right? A GMO that everybody hated, a certain group of people hated because they're frightened of GMOs. Not getting into that debate. But golden rice contains um, beta carotene to lessen preventable blindness in countries in Southeast Asia where children do not have enough vitamin A in their diet. I would love to create a ball... That not only sterilised water, when you and you could drink it. So you drop it in, you wait a minute, clean water, but also a source of things like vitamin A that we can then donate on mass through these organisations who then get it out to people who need it. I have no doubt that what I'm saying is naive, is being considered and probably wouldn't work for a variety of reasons. <laughs> but that's something we're we're exploring at the same time. And um, just throw it, it just in there, just time. add
0: that to the list of things to do. Yeah, I mean, forward,
1: right? <sighs> Business for better was supposed to be a side hustle. And we have a community of over five hundred people and it's not a side hustle. <laughs>
0: Anymore. Uh, it's been delightful talking to you. Thanks for your mahi in this space and um, can't wait to taste one of these incredibles. Uh, if I eat one, was my head going to explode?
1: Well, probably. I mean, we've not tested that.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, well, I'm up for it.
1: I, I remember as kids at school, we would all eat a barocca rather than d- dissolve it and there was red foam everywhere. But we, yeah. really enjoy, we enjoy the experience. So I think you'll be all right.
0: Uh, we we're revisiting our childhood. Brian West, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into opportunity. Please follow us on social media and rate the podcast as it helps others to find us.